Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have what a, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. You, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome to episode 167 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me in a heated garage in the cold weather, Charles Hedlund, how you doing? This is probably the warmest day we've had in like a month. So. I know. It was freezing out here when I came yeah, out initially, dude. though. And it was probably the coldest the garage has been. <laughs> I only kicked it up to 60 today, so it was That's a little not, cooler. It's not bad, dude. No, it's I'm loving this. Yeah. This is our weather here. I like this a lot better. Today, mid-30s. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. So I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. I got one more day of work and I'm headed south. Good on you. Southbound. Southbound. Southbound and down. <laughs> <laughs> Little muffins. There you go. <laughs> I wasn't yep. going to go the whole way. Yeah, no, that was perfect. So I'm, I'm pretty fired up, man. Yeah, dude. For sure. Got Sounds out good. this past weekend, did a little bit of coyote hunting. Sweet. You guys got one? We got one. Yeah. Sick. It was, dude, it was freaking awesome. I got some snappies from old The Wizard. The Wiz, yeah. The Wizard. Dude, it was unreal. I This was a, a coyote hunt that belongs on a video somewhere that you only see. You had a pile of them videos. come in, didn't you? Yeah, we had a trio come in. That's killer. The freaking triple came in, and it was like... Oh, picture perfect. Running in that single file line. They helped furnace like the first one kind of came across and met up and they all ran in. They were like, you know, 15, 20 yards apart from one another. And they all hung up, like stopped, like did that kind of trot, trot, stop and look like alert. Oh, yeah. And he blasted the front one and then they continued to miss like 82 times. I saw some misses going on. (laughs) So they miss on all of the back ones. And then we got up and started celebrating. Geoff was like, dude, sit sit back down. Like, I know we're excited, but sit back down. Let's just see. Put the distress call on, and one came back. And that's the video you saw. Oh. Not a lot of people realize the video I captured was me. I was literally just taking a snap or a Marco Polo of us celebrating the kill. And as I was panning over, I looked up, and I could see that coyote come back in a second was, time boom 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 boom, boom, and then, boom yeah boom. dude it ran into like <laughs> 55 60 yards and probably should have waited it wasn't me but the shooter probably should have waited who until, couldn't shoot i'm not gonna say any names okay. but when it got to 60 ish yards i mean this this coyote was coming in on a full sprint like yeah. he was not bebopping around he was fired up coming in but he was trying to catch our wind so he went further right and as he got to like 60, just all hell unleashed, just pow, 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 pow. Like, I think there were six shots, if you listen back yeah, to that. It was that fun. Kind of, but it was fun. It was like a movie where you just see like the snow blowing up around the coyote. It was probably the coolest, funnest moment ever 
we could have killed three. I mean, we easily could have killed three. Um, but just the one was pretty cool. So I got to pack them out on my, uh, my pop-up 28. Sick. Yeah, I threw them over the old meat shelf. and I like it. Oh, dude, it worked out freaking fantastic. It was great. That's awesome, man. But that it was awesome. It was frigid cold out. Um, I think it was like, dude, it was single digits that day, It was right? pretty cold that day, yeah. It was freaking cold. That whole cold. week was cold, man. Brutal cold. And the wind was starting to pick up. It was after kind of that front with all the snow that we got. Yep. And man, my feet were freezing. But I will tell you what. And this is what I was going to tell you about Scree. Dude, I have the Ptarmigan vest, and I wore it with the 150 base layer and the 300 base layer in the Ptarmigan vest to walk in. Did not sweat, did not overheat. It was, like, perfect for walking in. And, like, this vest was unzipped and whatnot. I was unzipped, letting some air in. But when I sat down, I brought the Guardian jacket. Yeah. And I was going to throw that bad boy on, but I was like, you know what? Let me just grab the Ptarmigan jacket and throw it on and see how it holds up. I wore just that the rest of the day. Dude, was, that's like 1,600 uh-huh. freaking fell down going on. Yeah, buddy. I'll bet that was gnarly. Dude, it was freaking fantastic. I, I never got cold in my upper body. The only thing I got cold was my, the, the tips of my toes got pretty cold, but I was only wearing those 200 thin-slit crispy boots. Yeah, that'll do it. You know, with merino wool socks and whatnot, and it just was like... Just not enough for single digits to keep you, especially when you're trying, you're, you're walking through all this snow, yeah. it's wet snow. If like, you're moving, it kind of makes sense. But mm-hmm. if you're sitting, it, yeah, it's no bueno. Every time we'd walk, my feet would warm up and be fine. Yep. But we sit back down and freeze. But I'll tell you what, I am, uh, Booer talked me out of putting the ptarmigan pants on. I'm glad he did because I think I would have melted yep. out there with those on. I was just running like the Kodiak with all my base layer merino on and I had the Wasatch on um as well so perfect layering system just goes to show again you can mix and match what you have and why that ptarmigan jacket will always be my number one item in the scree lineup it is just phenomenal but let me say if you go right now to the outlet the guardian series is on sale big time big so, time you can go pick up a Guardian jacket. That jacket is the truth, and I believe you have a little experience with it this weekend as well. I actually wore my Guardian this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went ice fishing with your brothers. We had a freaking blasty blast, caught some fish, and uh, I wore my Guardian. And I will tell you, I wore it from the truck walking out on the ice. Big mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. I got about halfway out, and your brother was talking about how hot he was, and I was mm-hmm. like, dude... I just like ripped it open. I was like, ah, I felt like like Braveheart, like freedom. <laughs> and it was just, I was so hot, man. Yeah. And when I sat back down in the in the shelter and everything, man, I was I was so comfortable all day in that coat. Mm-hmm. It was just unbelievable. And it was cold. That wind was, was whipping across that ice. Dude. Oh yeah. When you're on the ice, there is no forgiveness. I mean, it is windy, it's cold, it can be brutal out there. I mean, absolutely brutal. So Guardian jacket is just where it's at. It is. I love that thing. For real, for real. That thing is nice. But I will tell you, the Ptarmigan vest and jacket combo is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Cut the wind. I mean, it was really doing its job out there, and I was very, very impressed. So I like it. Use code WDP20 for 20% off your first purchase, or I think WDP10 for any other time. Yeah, you can use WDP10 anytime for 10% off or the 20% off your first purchase as well. Uh, Go through our social media pages, find our link tree, 
click on that and you will find a direct link to Scree. Um, right from there, you can click on that. It'll bring you right to the homepage and then check out the outlet items. Check out uh, some of the items on sale right now. There are killer deals on there for pants, but they will go quick. So do not miss out. Get on there and grab what you've been waiting to pick up. Turkey season's around the corner. It's still very cold out. The Guardian is on there. So a lot to find. Speaking of turkey season being around the corner, our next one up, mm-hmm. they have the gobbler guillotines. They buddy. do. VIP archery, man. There's uh, <laughs> not much more to be said about the gobbler guillotine than badass. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can always go tried and true. Freddy Krueger blood coming <laughs> out of the freaking combat vet. But, yeah. you know, deer season's over here in Pennsylvania, unless you're hunting, you know, our, our mm-hmm. I'm going to call it the deep south of Pennsylvania. <laughs> Or I guess way across the state, yeah, but yeah. you know, for us, it's around there. Yeah, yeah. To go out and try to lop your head off a turkey, I mean, why not? And those blades and those broadheads are just some of the meanest things I've ever seen. Um, I think uh, I'm going to say it again, but I think I have an opportunity to potentially use them again this year. Use it for the first time this year. So with the bow, I'm going to set that goal again. To shoot my first turkey with a bow. I'm going to set that goal again, too. And I really mm-hmm. want to do it out of a layout blind. <laughs> oh, my God. He's just mad. Just, what was that? Larry McCoy did that. Larry McCoy of, did it. And what? I just, I, I haven't been able to freaking get out of my head, man. Well, give her hell, bud. I want to, I want you to film it if you do. I plan on it, man. But, you know, speaking of giving it hell, it's almost freaking frost seeding time. Yes, it is. And I will have me some back 40 seed clover mix going in here in the next probably month or two yeah mikey fennel was hitting me up today asking me about it he needs to do some frost seeding going on and i was like hey man back 40 seed yeah use the code distraction 10 get you all kinds of discounts out here we're working for you guys so we are working (laughs) for you guys (laughs) and back 40 seeds got some of the best quality local seed that you can find as well and local is the key these guys are growing these these blends in Pennsylvania. Formulated in Pennsylvania for Pennsylvania. And for right. everywhere, and really. For everywhere, but yeah. They are proven in Pennsylvania, guys. Yep. Check it out. It's just not the easiest place always to grow. So yeah. They're I doing agree. it, doing it well. Um, you know, I gotta give a first shout out as well to our boy. It's it's getting up there, but hey, I got it. I got a Snapchat from Kyle Allen the other day. He's got the press back out. He's starting to make calls again. So Oh boy. Yeah, buddy. ANF custom calls coming around. I might have him make me something just wicked this year. You know, I know he can. I know he can so too. Definitely go check him out and get you some uh some mouth calls. Absolutely. Custom you can't beat custom when it comes to turkey calls. Yeah. Just can't do it. We'll get you some more details on what we got going on with them coming up here too once we start getting a little closer. Yep. But go check them out. Go check them out on Facebook. All those all those companies we just listed. Check them out on in. Instagram, Facebook, all their fun places, their websites, order something if you feel like it. And that's the business for today. That's it. So let's jump into this episode. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. It's a obviously Florida-based episode with my trip coming up. It just kind of made sense for us to it's, it, jump it, into it. It makes sense. It makes sense. But it is just a totally different episode than anything we've ever really done on here. And mm-hmm. something you don't really hear about here up in the north and that Southern culture is, is very strong, and it's a it's a super interesting episode with someone who's just crazy knowledgeable about it, too. Yeah, I I loved it, and I love the guys down there. I've loved to be able to enjoy, like, joining in their hunts and stuff, and, and it's been freaking awesome over the last few years. So, without further ado. 
Split shine. All right, and we are back. We have, well, you know what? We have an interesting one tonight. We have a selfish episode of mine. We are bringing on uh, one of the most popular Florida hunting podcasters <laughs> around. If you ask anybody from Florida who knows this guy, at least, he's probably the most popular. And we, uh, I've known Mr. Michael Wallace, a.k.a. Split Shot, for a while now through the uh, Was Chasing Tales, now SoCo Nation Patreon. And uh, Split Shot and I have been able to share some hunts together throughout some of these Patreon hunts and whatnot. And we have another one coming up. So, Michael, a.k.a. Split Shot, how are you, man? How you been? I'm really good. Uh, I wish I was coming up there to come hunt with y'all on this hunt. But I know any time that I can get together with you and like when we went turkey hunting and even the first deer hunt where we were um, trailing Chase's buck, I believe. I think that was the first time I met you. That's correct. That track. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely a pleasure of mine as well. It was fun to be able to be welcomed in the camp with you guys being a, a Yankee from up north here and all. You know, you guys have <laughs> welcomed me with open arms for sure. <laughs> We've poked really hard at you on that. Yep, that's for sure. But I've had some fun, man, and it's it is a shame that you won't be there for this uh, this upcoming Patreon hunt. I will miss you for sure. But you know, I meant what I said about you are definitely one of the most popular guys in that group um, through the Marco Polo for sure. You know, I, I see you on there all the time, just spitting unbelievable wisdom, um, really helping guys, taking time and patience with these guys that are newer, and even some of the guys that have been around for a while and. Uh, you know, I'm. I know for a fact that they all appreciate it very much. I know I've appreciated it as well. So, um, I'm glad to have you on. And you know what? We're gonna dive into some Florida hunting content and Florida hunting culture. But uh, before I do that, Austin, get bring me back, bring me back to the beginning. Ask the man about our normal first questions. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna let you, you know, do your thing. But that, hey, that's cool, man. No, I'm, I'm glad to have you on Split Shot, and it's, it's a pleasure to meet you, my man. But you know, that being said, and me not knowing you very well yet, uh, why don't you kind of come into it? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, and uh, then we'll get into, you know, how you got into the outdoors. So I live down in Central Florida, around. I was. The, way, the best way to describe it would be I'm about 30 minutes south of Gainesville. Like if y'all are, I'm sure, aware of college football and the Florida Gators. <laughs> We're <laughs> about 30 minutes south of there. Um, so it's really like they're like smack dab in the middle of Florida. And uh, it's very easy for me to go different places. There's a lot of WMAs that I can hit within an hour. It's not a very long ride to get to, you know, really anywhere. And, um, uh, that's mostly what I do. I, I do a lot of different style hunting and, you know, while we're talking about culture and stuff, that's the, you know, what I really want to bring is hopefully I can give, you know, the listeners today a, a, an idea of what it's like to be down in here in Florida and the traditions that we have here. Very cool. Very cool. Excellent, man. Yeah. Um, so as we usually do, we always like to ask everyone, you know, how you kind of got into hunting, you know, where did it all start? Who was your mentor? Who brought you into the outdoors and uh, where did this passion come from? So I was kind of born into it um, right from the get go. My dad would take me out. We would go dog hunting and he would throw me in the truck. I was in diapers and they would take me out to the woods and we'd run around and play in the dirt. And 
my sister and I would be beating each other up in the truck and stuff like that. <laughs> and riding around with BB guns, you know, just being little heathens. And that was kind of how I started. Uh, my dad, you know, unfortunately he passed away when I was young. But my uncle, which was best friends with my dad, he would come and pick me up. And I, I cannot thank him enough for doing that, picking me up as a kid and making sure that I stayed out there. And, uh, you know, just going, if we were going dog hunting, he took me squirrel hunting fishing just anything like that like if he was doing something in the outdoors then he took the time to go and pick me up and say enough for him doing that for me so i would say he's my mentor you know? very cool very cool i feel like we kind of have sort of a similar bringing up i mean we both grew into families that you know hunted their entire lives i mean it's been generation after generation and i think that's kind of a really cool and even more of a unique way to kind of grow up as opposed to some of the people we know that don't hunt and don't fish and don't really, you know, have an understanding or, or really an appreciation for the outdoors. Yeah. Anytime that, you know, you have an opportunity to bring a kid or something like that and get them out there. You know, I think it's something that people need, like we need a connection to the land that we live on. And that's something that, you know, in modern times, a lot of people are disconnected from that. I think it's really healthy just to be in the outdoors and be, you know, connected back to the land and the spaces that you're in and know the history of what you're, you know, surrounded by. Totally. Totally. Couldn't say it better myself. I was going to say it's an appreciation for something that I kind of feel bad for the people that don't have it. And, uh, you know, can't thank the people enough around us that have brought us into this kind of lifestyle because it is such a, a fulfilling lifestyle. And, you know, it's, it's definitely something that I hear a lot that, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't so addicted and fulfilled in, in hunting, where would you have turned with the, you know, personalities that a lot of us hold that are very addictive? And, you know, um, where would you have put that energy into if you, if it wasn't hunting, you know, and a lot of people, you know, they, they use hunting as that outlet in their lives. And, you know, I'm glad that I started at a young age. You guys all started at a young age and, I'm sure you can back me on saying, you know, it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to us for sure. Um, you know, that traditions and hunting culture, it runs so deep in, in states like, you know, the up in the Northeast with us in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. And, you know, you hear about it all the time, but Florida's another one. Um, I hear a lot and it's, it's great that I was able to meet so many people from Florida because a lot of people, you know, even from up here that don't hunt, don't understand it. You when you when they ask you what, what are you going to Florida for and I tell them a deer hunt they kind of laugh or chuckle and go what, what do you mean what do you what are you hunting in Florida Florida's like, all beaches <laughs> yeah what do you what do you mean deer hunting in Florida like what is that what do you hunt these little tiny things like and they all think about the key deer and you know it's immediately what their mindset goes to and they don't understand that that southern hunting culture too is very very rich uh, very very deep and I see it through through yourself, being able to hunt with you, being able to hunt with Too Tall, uh, you know, one of your relatives and all you guys down there. It, it is crazy to be a part of that. And it's been a lot of fun over the last few years. So um, I think we ought to kind of dive into that and hunt and right into like the culture thing of it, you know, because for me, it's probably the most important part of why we do this. Um, I'd agree. And it always has been. And I think that you could probably share some experiences yourself as well um to kind of reiterate what i'm saying yeah the florida this hunting culture i think it gets overshadowed by a lot of like the palm trees ocean breeze but there's a, a lot that's going on in the you know in the 
deep heart of Florida that people don't see or different, you know, or understand is they just see the, like the big cities like Miami, Orlando, Disney World, like all that stuff is what everybody thinks Florida is. But there's a huge culture of hunting that happens really in central Florida and the Panhandle. Even down south, there's a lot of guys that have this hunting culture. Like I was talking to a guy today about the hunting shacks that people would build in, uh, down in the Everglades. And they would go out there and spend a weekend and they'd ride airboats and uh, we had a hunting camp here in central Florida and we would go out as a kid, I would go out there every weekend and we'd spend the weekend out at that, at that camp. And all of our buddies, like all of our people that we dog hunted with, they would come and meet at the camp and we'd have cookouts and, you know, we'd make breakfast and everybody, you know, share their stories and campfires. It was that kind of thing that I grew up with. And through talking to you and talking to a few other guys that are, that are up there in Pennsylvania, or have been in Pennsylvania, I would almost compare it to that deer hunting culture or even the deer drives that you guys were doing. Um, just that big camaraderie feel where everybody gets together and has a community hunt. Definitely, definitely. I've actually seen a couple of things on uh, on the guys down in the Everglades that have those cabins and those camps. And um, Aren't they called Gladesmen? Am I right on that? Yeah, I've seen them. Seen them called that. Yeah, sure. Gladesman. Yeah, or, or something like along the lines of that. But <laughs> no, I think that's a really cool, you know, way to live. Honestly, and I, I think they have like I don't want to call it a statute or something like that, but they're like the last of the ones that are allowed to do it. The people that have the like the existing ones, and uh, that, that's one of those things that once that generation's over, it's going to be gone. Yeah, all of that stuff is. With so many people moving down here, I don't want to get into that too deep, but <laughs> like a lot, the people that are moving here don't understand the culture that's that's here. And uh, hopefully the day like we can really get down deep into that, but there's a deep, rich culture of like outdoor traditions of, you know, there you got the alligator hunters, you got the guys that are running swamp buggies down there. You got, there's a really rich dog hunting culture in, north florida like over in the panhandle um there's just special stuff going on there's a lot of different diversity in habitat so you can hunt a, you, the styles of hunting differ and the way that people go about hunting and just the hunting cultures are even different like in different wmas and throughout the state like the way people hunt in north florida is different than the way they hunt here in central florida and then that's totally different than down south yeah that makes total sense man i think it's it's almost like its own, I don't know, like, like you almost want to call it like different countries when you, when you're, when you're breaking it up like that. But yeah. like, I, I totally understand because it, it's different climates even going down through the state. I mean, in Pennsylvania, we pretty much have like around us, it's some ag and stuff like that. And it's a lot of the other part of the state, but then you get up into the mountains and that's pretty much about it. Big timber yeah. and mountains or, you know, ag and some hills. Yeah. Do you remember when, uh, Bonds said it, I think said it best. I believe it was him when we asked about when it was the turkey episode and we were talking about different regions from from Bayside Legion. I remember. And he mentioned how Florida was its own region. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, true, there was yeah. the northwest, you know, mid northeast, midwest, south, and then there was like Florida and then the west. Like Florida was its own region. And, yeah. and I didn't understand that until I went down there and experienced it. Um and being able to experience central Florida, northern Florida, never south Florida, 
Um, it is totally, totally baffling how different every little, you know, WMA, right? WMA is down there and every little area that we hunt has been like extremely different. And it could be one side of it to the other side, totally different. Like you're totally hunting two different areas. Um, and they're, you know, 15, 20 minute, maybe an hour drive. Sometimes it's, it's absolutely crazy, but you've mentioned it a couple times and you keep going back to dog hunting and how about that played a part in, in your life and growing up. And I've mentioned it and teased it a few times on here for the episodes coming up to you that I'm, I'm doing this trip and I've committed to fully doing the dog hunting side of it because it's something that, you know, is unheard of up here. We're not allowed to do it. Um, and the people that hear about it, they kind of give it that bad, bad rap or, um, you know, bad reputation. And I want you to kind of dive into how dog hunting, like you said, from when you were in diapers kind of molded you and what that is all about and how much that means to you. So, so I'll I'll just get it to the misconception is a lot of people that I've talked to that have never heard of it or don't understand it. They think that the dogs are actually like herding the deer and they're making the deer come back to the hunters. And the really the best way I was thinking to try to describe it is really like a deer drive. Um, but except you're using these dogs to go out and do the deer drive and they're not pushing the deer can go anywhere they want to go. Like it is, I don't know. Do y'all rabbit hunt up there? Oh yes. yeah. Yep. Do y'all have like walking around? It's kind of like, I mean, it's the same thing. Like the rabbit can run wherever. Well, the deer can run wherever and these deer can run. It's not uncommon. I had a race that went on for 12 miles, I think, before I ever was able to get my dog off the deer. <laughs> um, I mean, that was a really long race, but most of these races last for several miles. Um, and it, it on the, after saying that, like it doesn't really affect the deer. I know that they did a study in Georgia and it's not harmful to the deer or anything. And uh, these deer will come back to the places that you run them out of even. And they normally run like around in like a, like a big circle. And they almost always end up back kind of back in the same area. But even if you do push them out of say their core area, it could be a couple days and they'll be back in there again. If that's where they, you know, prefer to live out they'll go back to that area but there's a few different ways to go about dog hunting in itself so you've got some dogs that are trail dogs and that would be the um probably like the most common way for people to hunt so if you got a dog with a really good nose what you'll do is take that dog and you'll put him out on a track and we'll go out and track really early in the morning and you're riding around and you're looking for a a fresh track where you know preferably a buck because we're not allowed to shoot does during most of the dog season. Like you're not allowed to shoot does. You might be able to on private property if you got the right stuff going. But so you're looking for a buck track. You're looking for a big track. Um, one of the ways I look for tracks is I take my fingers and I'll just lay them down. And usually a buck is like a three and a half finger track for me. Um, anything bigger than a three and a half finger track, like that's kind of what we're looking for. And uh, so if you can find a big track, you take your your trail dog, you put him in the into the woods, and he goes in the block of woods. You give your, you know, we're hunting. Sometimes you might be by yourself, but mostly you're hunting with a few guys. So you're talking usually a half dozen guys. Sometimes depending on the area, like you might have more. And those guys will spread out and they'll get on the crossing. So if you're, we're 
stake and deer drive, you're, those are going to be your standards. And in an ideal situation, like you would contain that deer in the block, in that one block of woods, and your trail dog goes in there and he starts to bark a little bit. You add a few more dogs, usually just a handful of dogs, like three or four, and they'll go in there and like the dog will on trail will bark kind of slow every now and again. And it'll um it'll be like boo and then a few you know, maybe a few minutes later, boo and then he'll start to speed up on his bark. And then once you some of the dogs like have like a really specific um, like a squeal or they'll do like a long howl or something and that's just knowing your dog so once you hear them kind of do that most of them will have like a specific thing when they jump or they'll just start barking a lot or some dogs don't even bark like on trail like maybe if they're not like a real trail dog they won't bark on trail but the idea is all those dogs come together and then once you start hearing those maybe like a, a dog that's running with your trail dog, like a pack dog is what we would call them. Um, once you start hearing them open up, well, now you know you have a race going. And then you'll hear them all in there. And they, sometimes uh, if you got a bunch of dogs in there, it just sounds like a roar. And it'll be, <laughs> yeah. rah, 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 like that. And it's <laughs> nice. absolutely just beautiful. And they'll basically, like, they they jump the deer. They run the deer around. And the deer, like I said, he goes wherever he wants to go. And like you now you've got your standards sitting on these crossings and the more that you hunt an area it's you learn where these crossings are. So it's kind of there is woodsmanship involved in it. It's not you know, a lot of people say it's cheating. Um there's woodsmanship involved in it. Like you want to put your dogs in where they're gonna be at and you want to know where they're gonna cross. We've got a few crossings. I would say probably seventy percent of the deer crossings in those areas, like within a short area, you know few hundred yards like it's just a very good area for them to go to it gets them back over we hunt near a river and they usually like to run back to the river so we can pick the dogs off of them before they get the river and then once they get across the river we're not allowed to hunt them um so that's kind of the idea is we set up on the outside of it they run it back you know the deer runs around and then you're on a crossing and when they come like up to you in the woods you, you'll hear the deer the deer's not the, the the deer's a long ways out in front of the dog. We're talking most races around 500 yards, so you can hear the dogs coming, but the deer will come in here, and then conditions all play into that too. If you've got really dry conditions, a deer can get out ahead of the dogs by quite a bit because the dogs are kind of struggling to smell the deer in situations. And I remember one one year where we had really dry conditions that year; it hardly rained at all. And the deer would get a long ways in front of the dogs as soon as they would come up to an area like we could hunt at, or like where we were hunting at. Like you usually stay by the road so you can kind of move around if you need to. And uh, the deer would stop right up next to the road and then they would wait until the dogs come in. And the dogs would get like right there next to the deer. And then all of a sudden the deer turned the burners on, you know, and you're thinking the dogs are fixing to hit the road and then the deer's gone, you know, or he slips across the road on you, stuff like that. So, Conditions play a factor in it too. That makes a lot of sense, and it does actually kind of sound like a rabbit hunt, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I I love rabbit hunt. I'm hunting in a rabbit uh, tournament this weekend, actually, which is going to be a lot of fun. But uh, man, I don't know. I think that's going to be a freaking blast. Oh, 100 percent. I can relate it to kind of the one coyote d- hunt with a dog that I did. Um, very similar. Sounds very similar. Uh, where you know you're putting out. 
one dog or two dogs out on a on a track seeing if they can pick up the trail and then once they're on it you drop a few more in they take to it they start chasing drop a few more in it's it's so cool the similarities but it just baffles me that it's going to be a deer at the other end and not like another (laughs) dog right like a coyote because and we know how these deer work you know they always have a back door or something because We've done a lot of deer drives. We've done it with people, which is nowhere near effect as effective, of course. But I know I've seen it so many times where a lot of guys, if you're the guy pushing and you're kind of trailing behind, sometimes you're the guy that gets the shot because those deer are so smart that they go out, they see or smell or hear the the guy standing there on drive, and then they just circle right back around. And they go right back around the people that are trying to push through. So um, it's a good point that you make about woodsmanship because – there is definitely an aspect of woodsmanship. One, identifying a track. Two, identifying how fresh the track is. And then three, identifying where that deer is going to be and where he should escape based on where the dogs pick up on him. And, and then knowing your animal. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects to this that is like so fascinating. But you mentioned conditions. So it's looking like we're going to have mid to high 70s and some rain. How do those conditions hold well for this hunt? What do you think? If you have a lot of rain, then it can really shut it down because the dog's not able to pick up the scent. And uh, that can make it really difficult. Like, it's just hard for a dog to smell. But normally after the rain kind of passes by, and if it's not just a gully washing rain, then it can actually be kind of beneficial. Tutal describes it. This, is, this isn't my theory, but this is his theory is whenever that moisture is on the trees and it's not raining, then the scent is actually getting held into the molecules, like in the in the water molecules, like on the branches. So it gives the dog something to actually smell. And that would give you an idea too, like whenever you walk in, like you say you're still hunting or, you know, hunting from a stand, you, you can, the deer can come in and smell you like after it rained, but if it has rained before, then it's kind of washing those scent molecules down and pulling them away from the deer. So that's something we talked about like on the you know group and that's two calls theory. But uh, the the rain as long as it's not a gully washer is not a bad thing. The heat can be a problem. Um, depending on how hot it hot it is. The dogs like that's obviously gonna wear a dog out faster. When it's nice and cool out, dogs are feeling crisp and fresh and they can run a long time. They don't really have to get a lot of water to be able to run. Um, and it, it's just like you trying to run a marathon, um, without, you know, it, it's different running a marathon when it's 90 degrees and, you know, really humid compared to when it's 30 degrees and, you know, there's no humidity in the air. So that's going to affect how the dogs are going to be able to run. And another thing I wanted to catch real fast is there, there's a couple of other ways that you can, I'll, and I'll describe it real fast. You can cast dogs, which casting dogs is taking the dogs like you have an area that you think there might be a deer in and you take your dogs and you send your dogs into the to the block of woods where you want them to go into and they just kind of go around and beat the bush and they'll pick up whatever scent they can and try to jump a deer that way and then there's another technique which would we would call walking dogs and it's kind of like casting dogs but the hunter will go into the woods himself and he'll walk along with the dog. And that was a technique that I really liked using 
um, that worked good with my dog. And it also helped me learn a lot about the way the dog was working because bringing it back around to where they were smelling the brush and stuff. I would watch my dog after a rain and I could see him like smelling up high on the brush, like on the bushes and stuff. And he would be looking for scent and you would see him like smell it. And then he could, he'd bark and open up then. And then he put his nose back to the ground and where that scent had been pulled out and he would struggle. And then he'd come back into some brush and then he could smell the deer again. And so that kind of, teaches you as a hunter but just by watching your dog just how deer are reacting to scent molecules as well that makes a ton of sense man i mean that's just that kind of goes back i mean even just just you know running rabbit dogs i mean you take them out i mean you might take them into an area and you know you might you might think that there's rabbits and just send the dogs out and then there's that other technique of taking the dog with you and when you kick one up, you, you know, you send the dog on it. And that's just another technique. So, I mean, it's, it's, it has the parallels and it, it's pretty similar is what it sounds like to me. I'm hoping so anyhow. <laughs> another thing to that too, like an advantage to walking the dogs is after some pressure gets there, deer will learn not to move. And it's actually more of an advantage for them not to get up. So you can walk by, how many times have you walked in the woods and you walk by a deer and they just lay there? And then, like, you go to into the bushes, and then all of a sudden the deer jumps up, and you never even knew they were there. Well, that kind of happens with the dogs, too. They'll they'll get in there, and I, I remember one similar or story that would kind of put it into mind. We had dogs in for this chop. Like, they had cut all the pine trees out, and then it's pretty bare, and then it grows back up. We just call them, like, green or an old chop. And it's a really good place for the deer down here to go into those chops. And uh, we had a buck that the dogs would go in there and they could smell them a little bit and they'd be in there barking. And they had been in there for hours. So my buddy Chris runs around and he goes to go pick up the dogs because we just had enough. Like there, nothing was going on. As soon as Chris went in there to go get the dogs and he got out and walked over there next to the woods to pick the dogs up, all of a sudden this big old six point, like a really nice six point for down here, jumps up. And then the race is on. Like, once he got up, like, it happened. You know, it was going. But sometimes they'll just lay there and they just won't move. So even though the dogs are in there, like, unless they kick the deer up and sometimes they get right on top of these deer, they don't even move. So a hunter actually gives an advantage going in there. And, like, he'll hoop and holler and call for the dogs. And you're trying to make as much noise to get these deer up and moving. So that's another technique. And it is an advantage to have the person in there. Yeah, that happens a lot. And I see it a lot too, where when you're just walking, bebopping through, and, and even if you're making noise, a lot of times a technique we've used whenever doing these man drives is every once in a while, just stop mm -hmm. and be totally still and quiet. And it, it seems like this works with many animals, but especially deer and rabbit. I've seen it where when you finally stop and you stop making the noise and if you stand there enough, you make them get nervous yeah, and they yeah. start to get nervous to a point where they'll jump up and they'll take off running um, where normally if you had not done that, they would just walk you, watch you walk right past them. And I've done it when, you know, when I'm not hunting, I've observed it as well where, you know, just taking a walk through the woods and you see the deer and you see it laying low and looking at you and you just keep talking and walking. You can walk right past that deer at five yards and it just kind of sits there and watches you go past. But when we stopped and started having a conversation it took about 10 seconds in that deer. You could tell it started getting nervous, jumped up, gone. Yep. So it, it's interesting how they know or how they adapt, you know, to human pressure and to what we are. I mean, we're, we're in their environment. We're in their, 
area, but you know, they're the ones that are out there all the time. They're the ones that are surviving predators all the time. Um, you know, we're just another predator to them basically. Yeah. That, I've seen that same thing. We've, uh, there's one place where we hunted, I actually hunted there with you. Um, we did some deer jobs in there and I noticed the same thing. Like while you were in there hooping and hollering and trying to do the drives, the deer, sometimes it seemed like they would just lay and like you said, maybe come out the back door. They would just lay there and not move. But once you would sit and just kind of be quiet for a minute, it would really just freak them out. You know, and that was a cool thing to experience. I've only done a few deer drives in my life, but that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've gotten away from them a little bit in the more recent years, just because come, come rifle season, it's just like, I just want to be away from people sometimes. Like I, I, I just want to go off, do my own thing, but we did a couple small ones this year and it worked. We kicked some deer up, you know, we got them moving. It's fun when you put the aspect of thinking it through, like actually thinking of where the wind is blowing, where to set up, where the escape routes are. When you start to actually hunt them more than just pushing them with force, which you see a lot around here, they're groups with numbers, they'll push with force. And we don't typically always have those kind of numbers, so we have to kind of push with more of a of an actual mindset of a deer hunter or a woodsman. Um, you know, and Austin did that. Me and Austin did a, a one-man drive, and I killed a deer off of it one time. Just just him and me. That was it, right? He went over. We, we read the wind. He pushed through slowly. The deer come walking over. I shot it, killed it. It was just an unbelievable – with a bow, by the way, which was really cool too. But um, – Wow. Yeah, it was it was an awesome experience. It was wild. You know, and I don't know. It I can see why it gets a bad rap. It, it's no different than why some of the people up here that I just won't do deer drives with because they give it a bad rap, right? I mean, everybody knows those people that are just um the people that you don't want to really want to associate hunting with. And then you know the other aspect of it, the guys that are really, really good out there and that are doing the right things, doing it for the right reason. And those are the people you want to associate with. So, I mean, that's why I've chosen to obviously associate with you guys and be a part of this because I need to know what it's all about. I mean, I can't sit here and say I'm against dog hunting when I've never done it before in my entire life. Totally. Right. And I can't advocate for it fully either because I've never done it. So here we go. Here's an opportunity. You know, I'm going to go do it and then see what my own personal experience comes of it. Well, even in the dog hunting space, like there's obviously there's going to be good apples and bad apples in every, you know, in every tree. And you're, the thing about dog hunting is those bad apples are out for everybody to see. Whenever, like if you have still hunters and a guy's going in here and doing things that he shouldn't do that are unethical, it's usually just that guy that knows. And maybe like a small group of people that know. But with dog hunters, like if you're out there and this happens, if you're out there drinking beer and you're out there acting a fool out on the side of the road and you're 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 pushing property boundaries in maybe a way that you shouldn't be doing it, then that's really gonna just radiate into poor ethics. And a lot of that happens. There are a lot of good dog hunters that are, you know, that are out there to work the dog. I know people that just want to be out there just so that they can work the dog and camaraderie and that side of it for me um was really it's probably i would put it right there one of the top three things that i've ever done 
is take, you know, get myself a puppy, raise that puppy and teach him to train and watch him, you know, grow into a hunter himself and to be able to experience that. And it was, it was a really special time in my life is just to have my own dog and be able to go out there and spend time with him. And he's the dog that I've trained myself. Like he just recently passed away and it was like losing a, like a family member or a hunting friend. And, and the ones that really love this, that's what they're after is the connection with the dog and the camaraderie that comes along with all, you know, a group of buddies that are coming together for a common purpose and going out there and accomplishing those goals. But there's definitely going to be some bad apples that are out there. But um, I hope people don't allow that to try to tear down a tradition. Um, that is a really good thing. For me, that was probably one of the reasons as a kid that I was so on fire for hunting was because I could go out there and experience and I felt like one of the guys at such a young age. I was, you know, you know I killed my first deer down here I was only 11 years old and I felt like I was just one of the guys at camp you know and before that I was you know I was able to go out my uncle would let me you know figure out where we were going to set up on a cross and he'd let me choose stuff like that and uh I would get to catch dogs and I absolutely loved that from a very early age I was sitting there and pet the dogs in the dog box and uh, walking with my dad, like he would take me, and I'd be four or five years old, and we would go walking dogs through the woods. All that made me feel like I was one of the guys. I was special, you know. I was an ordinary person having a special adventure every weekend, doing something other people weren't. And that's the tradition that we need to keep. And this stuff has been going on for years. Um, we hunted with a guy where y'all are going to be going. We hunted with him, and his 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 family had been hunting up there for I think three or four generations. They he's got pictures of his family on horseback and having all these hunting dogs that were running around. This is like his great grandfather or something on horseback running up there, and it was just amazing. They'd have deer like strapped over the horse. Um, <laughs> some of them were you know carrying deer out on their back, and they got these old like bunch of mutts that they had thrown together, you know. For a dog hunting, you know, group, it's stuff like that needs to be saved and preserved, and, I, and it only happens in a few states anymore. But that needs to be preserved. Like it's, it's just because you never did it somewhere doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Um, we need to advocate for hunters hunting, and it does. One of the things, negative things for dog hunting, is it takes so much land. Um, like I said, you could have a race that goes on for miles and miles. Sometimes it happens really fast, but some of these races last a long time. So it does take a lot of land, and you're going to come into boundaries. And one of the things that's come around to be able to help that is these, you have GPS collars with, uh, with training devices that are on them. And hopefully that will preserve the tradition and be able to keep these boundary lines. Because, I mean, you don't want to somebody's you know dog it's the same thing as if i would have went in there and hunted on your property you know um if my dog goes over there so you don't want that so with these training devices that are out in the gps like you're really able to keep where your dog's at and it's not so lost when i was a kid we were going out and listening to dogs by ear 
and like you tie a bell or something onto your dog if they weren't barking so that you could find the dog and I remember many nights I would ride out there in the truck with my dad and we might be out there looking for our dog you know 11 12 o'clock at night trying to find them you'd go back to your place and you'd pick them up and then you'd go back the next weekend and go lose them again (laughs) that was like kind of how it went and it was a it was a good time but the gps is a much needed thing definitely definitely and i think i think it's really important what you said like you know hunters they need to respect hunters and they 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 can't really judge people on something because they don't know it and that kind of goes back to you know just a, even a regional thing in in the United States. Like we, we can't do it up here, but you guys can do it there. You know, we can't bait in our state, but the state directly to the left of us in Ohio, they can bait. You know, it, everything, everybody has different perspectives on what you should and you shouldn't do. And even taking it to like a global level, hunting in Africa is totally different than anywhere in the United States. But, you know, it's all that common purpose and everybody, you know, Hunters need to get along with hunters and understand the different perspectives. And I, I think that's a really important part of it. But, you know, thinking about the dogs and, and thinking about hunting with dogs, when I think of hunting, you know, rabbits around here, I think beagles. What kind of dog? Is there a specific kind of dog that you guys hunt with in Florida for dogs or, or for, for deer? Or is it, you know, just kind of a standard group of dogs that, you know, this one might work, this one might work, this one might work? So beagles are something that happens mostly here in central Florida. Um, the, the block of woods that you're hunting down here are a lot. They're thicker. They're, they're thick in North Florida too, but they're thicker in a different way. Um, down here, we've hunted a lot of shrub. It's almost, if you think of the hedges in front of your house, that's kind of what the scrub is like. It is just thick, and sometimes you can't hardly walk through there. So a do- short dog can actually get up underneath that scrub and be able to get through the scrub pretty easy. Um, where if you got a big long leg, it's like a walker dog, which is very common too to be able to use. Um, but a lot of guys here in central Florida use beagles. Uh, but like I said, using walker hounds, blue ticks, I've seen red, red bone. Um, I've even seen a guy, there's a guy that used to hunt a group next, that hunted next to us, and he had a Labrador. That had like a spot on his eye. He was just like a mud or something. But um, really, like any dog that'll go out there trail and bark. But the hounds are the ones that you really that most people stick stick to. Um, and North Florida, like you, they're going to use longer leg dogs. And when you're picking out a dog, like you're going to think about what kind of habitat you're going to be running. If you're going to be in a lot of water, or you know, in North Florida, there's a these palmetto flats um it'll be it'll look like it's really um really an open country but you're talking you know stuff that's you know, sometimes hip high and you can see out there forever and that what'll happen is these deer when you're running them they'll jump up over top of the palmettas and the gallberries and they can run through there really fast but the dogs are down lower so a long-legged dog that is you know a little bit higher he can bounce over that stuff too like the deer and they're able to put a little bit more drive they, the people who are running beagles too are usually trying to get a deer to make a mistake like a deer can get a little bit cocky and they'll be running in front of beagles because they know that they can stretch out on a beagle pretty good and uh they'll kind of bounce around and then they'll you know make a mistake just try you know just getting like i said a little bit too big-headed 
um when you start getting into these long long-legged dogs you're really looking for a dog to push a deer into making a mistake it's almost it's like a football analogy it's like you're bringing you know you're bringing the blitz and you're trying to make them make a mistake and that's what you're doing with these high power dogs is just trying to push them out makes total sense it does, it does. <laughs> i never thought about the type of dog based on the type of habitat or terrain features i mean that's it does make total sense though and especially yeah. in florida since you know the different terrains are so vastly different like you guys were saying no and it is it's crazy when you you're explaining it split shot about each one i'm like yeah that makes sense i've seen the scrub and <laughs> a short dog makes total sense in scrub and then i've seen the palmetto flats and it's like yeah a taller long leg dog makes a lot more sense there you know with my experience with the running coyotes you know, a lot of those dogs, it seemed like they had kind of a mixed bag as well. They had... I think it's a lot of walkers and stuff also. It is. It is. But, yeah. you know, it almost seemed like their their tracking dog was a little bit slower, shorter dogs. They're the ones with the nose to the ground kind of getting on the initial track. And then they would unleash these a lot faster, longer leg dogs that would actually push and chase hard on the coyotes to make them, you know get out from you know they're they're very squirrely animals a lot more nimble than a dog in the woods so it's funny when you see it because when they're in the woods the coyote can gain a ton of ground on them but when you get out in the open these dogs will run them down and i've seen them actually run them and like tackle them and whatnot and it's crazy but uh you know it's 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 an interesting part of it that I would never have asked what kind of dog. I always would just assumed it would be something like what you're saying, walkers or, um, you know, dogs that I would think were just crazy running fast. And that you've given me a whole new perspective of what this is going to look like. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm pretty interested in it now. Well, even the dog's personality, um, even though they're the same breed, you can get into breeders that have dogs that are more like nose to the ground um where i was talking about my dog like he was a nose to the ground kind of tracker and he would shove his dirt biscuit would throw his nose down in the dirt and he'd come up and have he'd snort off and sneeze it off and then go to barking because he could smell it and then you have other dogs that are more like head up in the air and those are dogs that are smelling by wind and you know they're usually the ones that are nose up in the air are usually faster dogs um, and they can really push, but it's good to have a dog that's nose on the ground and he can kind of stick to the same thing too. And it depends on the hunter. Like if some dogs prefer, like they're going to do better casting, um, other dogs are going to do better by track. And it's just being a good houndsman, like you know what, what, how to put your dog into a successful situation. Um, you know, like how your dog hunts and what is going to make him, you know, thrive in the woods. It's so that you know, both of you can be successful. Yeah. So this area we're going to that is to be remained unnamed, but I understand you have some experience out there as well, kind of hunting this area. Is that correct? Yeah, we were talking, Cecil and I just did a trip up there the last weekend. Um, we weren't running dogs, we were actually still hunting. And uh, so we hunted it just a week ago, like around that area. And then we were talking on the way back. I think for now we've been up there close to 15 years that we've you know made various trips up to that area that's awesome and that's more or less just because it's a, a a vast area that's very popular for dog hunting is that correct yes it's a very huge area and then it's 
open a little later so the stuff down here closes and you can run up to Northport and that's gotten to be pretty common for people to go do is just to try to extend their season. Um, I want to say the season there runs usually about the end of January, somewhere it's about that last weekend of January uh, that you can go up there and still run dogs in most of those areas. Okay. Very cool. Something I'm kind of curious about, and it kind of goes back to the dogs a little bit, but it, it kind of goes more into the dog hunting. Like when I'm thinking about, you know, doing deer drives up here, a lot of the time it's kind of uncontrolled. Like you might have your plan in, in place, but you're not really hunting a specific deer. And at the end of that push or going through the push, you might have one deer come out. You might have seven or eight deer come out. When you're doing these dog runs, are are you pushing one de specific deer or do you have those instances where, you know, 10 deer come out? It's not uncommon um, for there to be multiple deer and everything. Like the whole plan just goes, you know, just out the window. Uh, another aspect of that, and I'll, I'll go, I'll come back to that. But another aspect of that is, is the hunting partners that you have keeping all of them in line and everybody sticking to the plan and communicating together is very, very important for you to be successful. Cause like you're saying, like it's, you'll go out there and you'll throw dogs into a block and where, where y'all will be hunting at there's, you think these palmetto flats and then you have these bay heads that run down in between and the, in the bay heads, you'll have these creek drainages and that's why the bay trees are growing up there. And the deer will go down and bed into these these bay heads, and it's not uncommon for you to go and jump, you know, ten head of deer out of a bay head, and they just go scrambling everywhere. Um, and that can go, you know, all the dogs could stick on one deer like that's not, you know, uncommon, but it's going to depend on the dogs because some dogs have attitudes and they like to hunt with, you know, other dogs and other dogs that, like I said, they got attitudes that they don't want to hunt with other dogs. <laughs> so all of that kind of plays a factor. And you may have, say, like I put dogs out with Chuck and Chuck's dogs may all go one way because they're familiar with each other and they have like a pack with each other. And then all my dogs may go one way and, you know, I might have one dog go one way and then another dog go the opposite way. Like that is a real possibility and it can just turn into a scramble. Um, and that's the part that makes it to where it's a little more difficult. Um, I have probably harvested way more deer still hunting than I have dog hunting for sure. And you would think it would be the other way, but it's because of all the, you know, outside factors that come along and you're trying to get ahead of them. And, you got to work with your buddies and, you know, there might be somebody come drive by and turn the deer on you. All that stuff happens and the deer might, you know, flip the dogs off. All that stuff can happen. So it's not uncommon for them to go, you know, every direction. Once a race gets going and there's several deer, a buck, a buck will even run into a group, like a group of does. Like if they have an area, they know there's some does and he, he'll run in there. And if a dog will flip off on a doe, like it is not uncommon for that to happen. They like you'll see them running a buck, and then they run into an area where there's a bunch of does, and then they come out on the other side running the doe. Like that's not uncommon to happen either. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, and that's kind of a parallel too to even just rabbit hunting up here because you might get on, you know, a big buck rabbit, and he's running, and you know, 
they're smart. They know when they got the dogs on them and they'll take those dogs right past all those other freaking big buck rabbit holes and just try and get them thrown off so that they can get away. And I think that's uh, I think that's really exciting. And I couldn't tell you how many times we'd be rabbit hunting and you'd be on one rabbit and all of a sudden they go into a big brush pile and the dog would go in after them. And all of a sudden one of the rabbits is already in that brush pile, come out the back door and you shoot it. You're like, oh, yeah, we got it. And you're trying to call the dog over, but the dog's still barking, tracking that initial rabbit. And you're like, hold on now. I think we got a second rabbit. You know, oh, that yeah. happens a lot. Um, you know, we, man, so many times that this happened. It's it's unreal. So, yeah, there is a lot of parallels to it. And, dude, I'm I'm fired up about this now. You I, should be. I'm fired up about it. And I'm not even going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little, a little shocked to hear that you say that you shoot. I mean, now... Granted, you do a lot more still hunting than you do dog hunting, probably, I would assume. But I'm still shocked to hear the numbers are are flopped. I would thought, you know, they'd be more close to even. I've got a lot more time in dog hunting, probably overall. Okay. Uh, over the last few years, like, I've I've backed away from, you know, having young kids and stuff like that. Uh, dog hunting takes a lot of time, and I felt really guilty not having my dogs out there. Um, not being able to go out there as much as, as I would. And I felt like I, I was letting the guys that I hunted with down um, whenever I can't be dedicated to go out there with them. So I backed away from dog hunting and I wanted to pursue like um, getting after some better deer. We, we shoot a lot of there where we hunt at is in scrub country and the deer just don't grow to be really big deer. And I was wanting to get on some better deer and um, that's kind of led me into doing more still hunting now. Uh, but I still try to make a couple of dog hunting trips every year just because you go see everybody and spend time with them. Um, another thing I was going to add on where you guys are talking about the rabbits, uh, the deer have tricks, man. They, they, uh, like you ever read like the red fern grows or something like that. Oh yeah. The old ghost coon and he, you know, he runs up the tree and then he jumps over into the gutter and swims down. Well, deer have little tricks like that too. I, I remember a deer um, that ran out into a cut. It was a big doe that we were running, and they get ran by dogs, you know, pretty often. I'm sure, like it's not these deer are like living in dog hunting country. We have like a section of, of woods by the house um, that is just dog hunt, you know, a dog hunt area. So they're getting run by dogs pretty often, and this doe comes running out into a cut. And I remember watching her go straight back on the same path that she took. And then she took just the biggest bound that she could just jump. And uh, these beagles come out trailing this deer. They are running her up, burning her up, you know. And they come into where she flipped back. And it was just like, oh, deer's gone now. And they were just as confused as all, you know, <laughs> all get out. And they're running around trying to circle up, finding. But they had tricks like that, a, bu a buck. A lot of times we'll run a circle back around just doing loops. And then all of a sudden, like, he'll check out and, uh, like, just turn the afterburners on, like, in a straight direction. And sometimes that messes the dogs up because they've run around on that same hot trail so much that they'll get stuck on that trail. And then they miss where he made the exit route. Stuff like that happens. And it, I, I wanted to just elaborate like how these deer are you know they're run pretty often and they're they're smart like they know the game yeah yeah i mean they're out there to survive they're probably one of the best survivalists that you can imagine as far as animals come i mean they're tough animals they're smart um 
when you when you've educated them in that way, like they do adapt, they truly adapt and overcome their environment. And that's how they survive. I mean, they do it way better than us. Uh, I would say that. So it's impressive, man, for sure. But we're getting up there on time. I don't want to uh, I don't want to let you go without talking about a little bit about your season because you've had a pretty good season. Um, I know there's been some ups and downs in it, but we always kind of ask at least one of your favorite deer stories of all time. And then I, I before we get to that, I want to hear a little bit about kind of like a recap of your season real quick. Uh, so this season started out pretty good. I was able to harvest the doe on the opening day. And then we had a few encounters that same hunt with, with a buck, but we weren't able to ever get an arrow in him. I had him come in on me one morning, I believe, and it was just before, you know, shooting light. And I just, you know, he, I wasn't able to see him. I wasn't able to shoot, and I hunted him for a few days and didn't get to see him again. Uh, two stall saw him and wasn't able to get a shot on him. Uh, left out of that hunt and went to the next, to my next hunt, and uh, had a big encounter. A deer down here to make the registry has got to be 100 inches, which is, a, you know, a good luck for Florida. And I would say this deer was close to the registry. He come in chasing a, a doe. And he come in 20 yards from me. I drew my bow back. He, the doe, I don't know if she turned off like in a diagonal, but she, uh, she turned and then he cut the corner, I think is what happened. When he cut the corner, instead of him falling where the doe went and me being able to shoot this deer 20 yards, like he took off and went the other way. Uh, after that, I was hunting with another of our friends out of the thing. I shot a, a big doe and he saw a giant buck coming in here to me we were hunting pretty close to each other and i smoked this doe it's kind of funny but i smoked that doe and then we were looking at the times and the time that he saw the buck it all happened about the same time oh man he's shooting that big doe but with the limited amount of time that i've got to hunt this year like i'm taking you know what i can get and then i had a, a good trip to georgia i was able to harvest a uh five point and a and a good nine point in georgia in the same day uh, took the five point that morning, had an encounter with a really big buck um, up there on the, uh, that, that same day. And then I shot that five point that night. I went in uh, just blind to a spot where I saw that big buck going to and found a pattern that worked out in that terrain. It was like hunting on the moon for me, but it was a little bit more rugged, like mountainous terrain. And uh, found a white oaks and thicket and next to an area that I thought that I could and real quiet like down this creek drain and i uh, was able to shoot that nine point that night which is awesome um and then i went with my wife again back to georgia and we had a we were able to take a doe and had a really nice encounter with another nice buck um that was close but i ran out of tags so, <laughs> um it's been it's been one of those like good season I, I i forgot how the one i shot an eight point down here uh shot that buck and then had kind of like i was a bad shot um i didn't hit him very well like i but i knew it was a bad shot but i thought it was fatal he was quartered away from me and i hit him like right here in front of the ham but it was in like the guts and stuff and then that deer went off and I brought a dog tractor in. We did the right thing. We backed out and uh, there was just some mishaps with the dog tractor and we didn't recover the deer, but I went back and was able to find that buck. 
um, a few days later. I wasn't able to recover any meat, which is really disappointing. So it's been kind of an up and down year. Uh, but I would say overall, it was pretty, pretty successful. Sometimes you're going to win, you know, and lose a little bit. But last year went really good for me. So I'm hoping to store the luck bank back up. <laughs> Definitely. Dude, that's that's a one heck of a season. It was at least action packed to say the least. Yeah, I'd say so. All right, before we let you go, we need uh I need, I got a couple uh, I'm going to have a couple quick ones at the end, but we need to hear a good split shot story, like a good good favorite all-time story. Oh yeah. It could be your biggest buck, it could be your first deer, it could be, you know, your smallest deer. It could be any of those. It yep. could be a raccoon hunt. Who cares? Whatever is your favorite hunting story of all time. I'll give you two, and there I'll, I'll go in like real fast. Two of my favorite times that I got to go hunt uh, involved other people killing deer, but it meant the world to me. Uh, my uncle and I, we we had a lease in Georgia, and he would always ride up to me or ride up with me to Georgia. Um, and he had gone through this period. He had, you know, he was getting up in age, and he hadn't harvested a deer in like five years. And we were working really hard to try to get him one. And, but he was very limited on where he could go hunt. And so we set him up, our, or he and I were together. We set him up, and he was sitting on this, uh, like this old road. And I was down there hunting in the swamp, and I could hear him up there shooting. And he must have, I don't know how many times he shot. He shot several times, way more than he, than he should have. Yeah. But after we had hunted, I went back over there. And uh, he had seen like a five point or something like that, and then had a, I think a spike come back by, and he ended up shooting that spike I think twice, but he he gut shot the deer, and when I got down there to him, he was just I mean enthralled just of how exciting that hunt. He had seen you know five or six deer in this hunt, and he was just thrilled that he saw that. And there was a little bit of a rainstorm coming in. And we went down there to go check the blood, and we we could de- definitely tell that the deer was gut shot. And I was like, "Hey, I'm I, at that point I had my dog Biscuit, and I brought him with me, and he was you know staying up there at the camper. And I went and to the camper, got Biscuit because I was worried about the rain and being able to track this deer fast enough. So I said, "We're gonna try Biscuit on this track." And Biscuit went in there, and we were trailing that deer up, and uh. He ended up finding that deer within, you know, probably 20 minutes, like he trailed the deer up. So I, that was the first deer that I found with my dog, um, blood trailing. Uh, and to be there with my uncle and to see him so thrilled. And it was, we got there to this deer and it's like a, probably a three or four inch spike. And because it had been so long, like he felt like he had just lost it. Like he was never going to kill another deer again. And, uh, he he was just he's like I'm gonna buy that dog steak and he's he's calling his all his buddies up. He's like, man, I killed a buck, I killed a buck. And I that was that's one of my favorite ones. The other one is I have um my little cousin Logan. He and I uh he he and I have hunted together like a little bit. He didn't really have anybody to go take him hunting or anything like that when he was young. So he was I want to say he was about 14 or so. I picked him up and I was, took him out and we showed him how to shoot the rifle and uh, got him all set up. And I had been seeing these spikes coming like into this area and down here, like kids can shoot spikes, but you know, normally like it's got to be three point on one on one side or a ten inch maybe. But kids are able to shoot spikes and I've been seeing these spikes on a regular basis. 
So I set up a ground blind for us to be able to sit. You know, there's an old cow pen. I set up next to that cow pen and put some palmettas out in front of us and got us all brushed in and stuff. And we were sitting there. Um, the next day after I showed him how to shoot the rifle that like on a Friday night and then gun season open on Saturday morning. So we walked down in there. It's like a, it's a mile, every bit of a mile to get down in there where we went, but he was, you know, he's in good shape. We got down in there set up and, uh, we had seen a couple of deer and we're standing there just kind of hanging out, like, you know, just doing the blind stuff, just hanging out, having a good time. And he looks at me and he goes, Michael, there's a, there's a buck, there's a buck. And like, I look over and there's this, you know, I don't know, it's probably about an eight inch spike that comes in and Logan's over there shaking like a leaf. And I remember this deer walked in about 15 yards and the deer looked over at us and I could see his eyes just get real wide. And I, I just could still picture that the whites of his eyes open up. He's like, this is it right here. And Logan, I didn't explain to him. I said, no, I, I didn't explain to ease the safety off so it doesn't click. So he just clicks the safety off, and you can just see that dude's like, I'm fixing to get it. And about that time, Logan shot him. He flinched really hard, um, had it had it behind his shoulder, but flinched real hard and hit him in the neck. Thank God. And uh, <laughs> the deer took it off and uh, got to trail that thing up. And I remember sitting there with Logan and after trailing this deer up and finding it, and he didn't know to be excited or what he had done. He had done something that really cool, and he knew it was really cool. But I remember just telling him, I said, man, smile like you did something cool today. <laughs> and he just grinned the biggest grin. Like, and even today, like we talked about it, it ended up not being a spike. It was a little five-point. Like it was, we'd call it a glorified spike. But uh, those are my two most memorable moments um, in the outdoors is like spending with them. And getting to see them harvest deer and that camaraderie, and it doesn't have to be a big deer to make it a special moment. I totally agree, man. Those are both just excellent, excellent stories. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah, those are awesome, phenomenal. I got a couple quick ones for you. One, how the heck did you get the nickname Split Shot? Good question. <laughs> uh, that's from Too Tall. Um, it's from dog dog hunting. Uh, I really like to go do a lot of brim fishing and stuff like that. So it's after split shot sinkers because I would go out and we'd brim fish over here in the river and just having a time walking up on the river catching, you know, red, red buddies and bluegill down here. Okay. I didn't expect that, to be honest. I, I knew I mean, it had to do something with fishing. If it's I split shot, that's that's where it was. But I was assuming, I like it. Yeah, I was assuming that as well. Um, and one last question for you. Are there any absolute like do nots that I should watch out for to stay away from while dog hunting? Like what should I avoid at all costs is to just not piss people off <laughs> while I'm doing this? Another good question. Don't piss anybody off. Let's see. Are you going to be in the stand? Like, are you going to be one of the standers? I, I think the way that they're going to set it up is, I, I think know. the way they're setting it up is they're going to have guys that go out and set them in places. And uh, they're going to stay in their area because we got so many guys that are going to be hunting. They're going to stay in their area. And then you're going to have guys that are going to be running around cutting dogs. So are you going to be a stander or are you going to be a dog cutter? I don't know. I don't know. Um, if you're going to be a stander, stay in place. 
make sure you stay in place wherever they put you you cover that ground okay um the other thing is like whatever block the dogs are in on make sure you stay like up next to the woods where the dogs are at that way like if something happens you know make sure that you're safe so if the deer runs across the road um and somebody shoots down the road like you're up next to the woods where hopefully they're not shooting at the deer Okay. Um, okay. Make sure you do that. Uh, make sure you keep your orange on. Um, the blocks there, y'all, are going to be in are really big blocks. Uh, they're they're huge. It's a huge place. Um, so uh, don't miss. Used to have a tradition. To have a tradition, anybody that missed um, and you didn't draw blood, then they'd come and cut your shirt tail out. Oh yeah. Um, so, so you might miss the back of your shirt. Uh, like that. So I got to not wear my merino wool. Then I should probably at least have one shitty T-shirt on somewhere in my layering system. Throw a T-shirt in your pack and switch <laughs> it out when you miss. <laughs> Dang it, man! Yeah, yeah. Don't wear your street gear whenever you're out. Take you an old T-shirt. <laughs> Dang it! All right, that's great advice. That actually. is great that's advice. Gr- great advice. I do not want to lose the end of my uh, merino wool. <laughs> scree 150 <laughs> anytime <laughs> soon <laughs> oh man awesome dude well hey look i can't i can't appreciate you enough coming on here last minute um in doing this with us i think you shed a very bright light on florida hunting culture and dog hunting and everything else that a lot of people that are our general listeners probably don't ever experience or understand so I appreciate that. I think you're probably one of the better people to do it. So uh, I, I can't say thank you enough, man. I, I would I would ditto that and just say that, you know, Charles told me he we were having you on and we were talking about dog hunting. And it wasn't something that I wasn't expecting that for tonight. But at the same time, I'm so glad that we did it because I've, I have been interested in it for a lo- really long time. And it's just something that, you know, even Charles just brought up. You don't hear about that kind of stuff around here. And uh, I, I just appreciate you coming on, taking time out of your day to do it, man. No, I'm super glad for the, the opportunity. It's something that uh, I think it gets shed on a negative light just because people don't understand it. So hopefully we're able to, you know, reiterate what the good parts of, about it are. And dog hunting, there was a time like it was done all over our country. Um, our forefathers were dog hunting. Um, so just because it's not a tradition now doesn't mean that it wasn't a tradition or it's a bad thing to do. Sometimes there's opportunities and, and uh, real estate doesn't allow it to happen in places. And that, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't support people that, that do it. Um, support hunters hunting. Doesn't matter what they're, you know, if they're not hunting the way that you think they should hunt, just support hunters hunting because there are people that don't want us to do the things that we love to do and we should support each other because we are the only people that are going to advocate advocate for this and you know hopefully we can keep dog hunting around for a long time i would love it for my children to be able to experience it and go and enjoy it it's a good thing excellent man. well said man well said uh that being said i do expect there to be at least one horse for me to ride horseback <laughs> during this hunt um so I'll pass that <laughs> message along to Tall, see what he can do for me. Um, I think that'd be great. And uh, 
Yeah, you bring up a great point. I mean, think look back at all the old colonial pictures, you know, guys at the very oldest of times have dogs running right beside them on their hunts. And that just is an excellent, excellent point to make. There is something so pure and so good about hunting with dogs, that whether it's rabbits, squirrel, coyotes, deer. I mean, it's all, I'm sure, going to be the same so for, for me. But anyways, but... um. Yeah, man. I think that ought to wrap it up. Is there anything we missed here tonight? Anything you want to cover? No, I think we hit it pretty good. I just hope that we really shed a good light on it, open people's eyes to it. I think we did. I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah. You did uh, superb, my man. Love it, man. Love it. All right. 